If you would go with me this morning to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, the second chapter. We've been talking in these sessions about the honor of God. And it is a tremendous subject. It's some of the most precious things in my heart. And I thank God that he let me and allows me to... uh, to teach on these things now and talk about these things. And uh, before we get through, uh, we're going to get to some things that I don't know if I'll be able to teach it without crying. But if I do, that's just fine, because I enjoy that kind of cry anyway. But there are some of the things of God that are just so precious and so wonderful that it touches you deep inside. Deep. And it, it touches you in such a way that you don't forget it. Ever. Fifty years from now you can think about it and it's just as fresh to you as it was then. Our God is an honorable God. He's a glorious God. And His characteristics and His ways are so perfect and so right. And He always handles Himself and deals with people and situations in the right and the perfect way, the honorable way. And he intends that we learn his ways and that we become like him. We're not to think, well, we're just ignorant, stupid human beings, and, I mean, we don't know much, and it's not expected that we know that much. We're just going to flounder around and act crazy. No, no. God expects us to learn about him and act like him. 1 John 2.6 says, He that says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. We're supposed to walk just like the Master. We're supposed to be imitators or followers of God, as dear children, Ephesians said. And so that's what we're getting into this morning. And uh, I'm sure you're probably similar to the way I am. I, You know, I like talking about concepts and principles for a little while, and then I want you to give me some specifics, right? (laughs) Some details. How to, where, right? I mean, it's fine if it sounds good and you can put it in a pretty font and hang it on the wall, but if it doesn't change our life, if I don't know how to do it or how to implement it, then it's, uh, it's not that good, not as far as helping me. So I'm going to do that today. In 2 Timothy, the second chapter, 2 Timothy 2, we'll begin in verse uh, 20, I suppose. 2 Timothy 2, 20. The Spirit of God is speaking by the Apostle Paul, and he says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also, you could say, vessels of wood and of earth. And some vessels, you could say, to honor. And some vessels, you could say, to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, from these what? From the things that are dishonorable. He shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified, and meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Hallelujah. Does that sound good to you? We want to be vessels of honor. A vessel is a container, like a glass, or a cup, or a pot, or a bowl. You and I are vessels. We see this terminology through the word a number of times. We are vessels. We have this wonderful treasure of the glory of God and the light of Jesus Christ in earthen vessels. But here we see we're compared to vessels like in a house. There are uh, vessels that are for noble purposes. There are china cups. And then there are trash cans. Right? And he's talking about this in symbolism reference to people. There are people that are china cups, and there are people that are trash cans. 
There are people that are full of honor and full of the glory of God. And there are people that are full of dishonor and full of defilement. Full of that which is displeasing to God. And he said, if a man, if a person would purge themselves. See, this is not just something that God does for you. Verse 21, do you see it? If a man will what? Purge himself. So there's a lot of things the Lord cannot just do for you. He can help you to do it, but he, he won't do it for you. And by the way, right of the way he set things up, he can't just do it for you. In fact, the Lord gave me a message one time in another state, and the title of it was, uh, Help, Lord. Help, Lord. And the Lord uh, enabled me to see that many people are praying that. Help me, Lord. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me get my finances straightened out. Help me quit being such a pig. Help me quit being so mean. <laughs> Help me quit spending all my money and going over in debt. Help me. Help me. And uh, what they mean is, Lord, do it for me. And yet they're saying, Lord, help me. If I say, you know, would you fellas come up here and help me move this podium, you know, three or four of you, and y'all came up, and I, when you got up here, I went over here and sat down. I didn't say it right, did I? I should have said, would you come do it for me? So when you say, help, Lord, help me with this or help me with that, what are you saying? You're saying, Lord, I'm going to do something about this. I'm asking for your help in it. Because if you're not going to do anything, there's nothing to help. He's not going to control your appetites for you. He's not going to control your spending for you. He's not going to control your tongue for you or your mind for you. He's not. But if you decide you're going to do something with it, he will help you. And always help is wonderful. And with his help, you can do anything. Can't you? Don't ever cry and say, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and I just, I just can't see. No, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Anything else is a lie. Right? Can you do it? Yes, you can. Can you reach that goal? Yes, you can. One of the biggest obstacles is just believing that you can. Not believing the lies. Well, here we are to purge ourselves. From that which is dishonorable, that which is not honorable, and so that we would be a vessel unto honor. We would be like the vessel of gold or silver. We would be like the precious vessels that are in the house, not the ignoble base vessels. Well, I want to go into some specifics this morning about what, you know, some things that the Bible specifically says are honorable. And then by contrast, what is dishonorable? And as we go through this, we need to examine ourselves. And, and not, not other people now. Don't, don't look around and say, is so-and-so here? They need to be here in this. <laughs> no, you're here. And I'm here. And the Lord is not giving utterance just for people that are not here. <laughs> But first and foremost, for those that are. And, you know, some that are not perhaps through tapes, but primarily for us right now, too. Uh, in Luke 16, 15, you don't have to turn there, but Luke 16, 15, Jesus said to the Pharisees that were deriding him and scorning him because he had said some things that they didn't like. He said, you are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Did you hear that phrase? That which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. So obviously, man's value system is very different from God's value system. Right? Like the prophet said, you know, his ways and his thoughts are so much higher than man's thoughts. But now see, that doesn't mean we can't have his ways and thoughts. That's just talking about natural man without God. But we can attain unto his thoughts. I mean, that's why we're given the word. We can attain unto his ways. But there 
are things that people hold valuable that God detests. And there are things that God says are valuable and precious that people just go over and ignore. You know, there are things in this world and in this life that people spend millions and millions of dollars on and think it's sold such a wonderful deal and hold it up as such a major deal and God despises it. And you know, the Bible says even in the judgment day of Christ that the works of, uh, our, of Christians will go through the fire and that which is wood, hay, and stubble will be consumed. That which is just done in the work of the flesh. I mean, there'll be some things that there was a great big fluff of stuff and it looked like a lot was going on, but after it passes through the fire, there'll just be a handful of stuff. Something that really mattered. Something that God said mattered. You understand what we're saying now? It's not what people think is important that's important. Because there are things that people think so wonderful, God says it's an abomination to him. So we want our minds renewed. Amen? So that what God says is valuable, we say is valuable. If he says it's no good, we say it's no good. And you know, you can change just in a moment's time. You can. I I have, you know, throughout the few years that I've walked with the Lord. There have been things sometimes that I thought, oh man, this is it. This This is a grand thing here. This is, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. This is it. This is it. And the Lord said, I don't like that. And I said, right. <laughs> Me either. Now that you mention it, I just... <laughs> you can. It just does an act of your will in your heart. You can, no matter what your head says or what your flesh is. There have been things that I said, well, I want one of those. I want that. I want that. And the Lord said, I don't want you to have that. And I said, well, I, I don't want it. You're right, now that you mention it. There's been other things that I looked at and I thought, I, I don't, oh, I don't want to do that. Mm-mm, no, that's not for me. And he says, I'd like for you to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, now, now that I look again, I mean, glory to God. Yeah, that's it. He is right. If we disagree with him, we're wrong. Every time. Right? But we, have, we do have to have our eyes open to see what he says is valuable. So I'm going to begin going through, uh, you know, I don't know if, how it will work out, but I have nine different things that I have seen in the Word that the Bible teaches us are qualities of honor, are characteristics of honor. And of course, by contrast, the opposite of this would be dishonorable. And if we want to be vessels unto honor, vessels that are purged from the dishonorable, we need to know about this and incorporate these good qualities in our life and purge the bad ones as well. One of the first things that you'll see that the Bible teaches is honorable. What makes a man or a woman an honorable person in the eyes of God is righteousness. Righteousness. Now, certainly, that would include our right standing in Christ. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the, the, our legal standing because of what the Lord has done for us. I'm talking about right, uh, rightness. What is right? I'm talking about loving what is right. We are to love what is right to love what is just, to love what is fair and good. Because that's the way God is. Amen? The Bible says, you know, that the uh, righteous Lord loves righteousness. Psalm eleven seven. The righteous Lord loves righteousness. Proverbs 21 says, He that follows after righteousness and mercy will find life, Righteousness and honor. That was Proverbs 21, 21. If you pursue righteousness and mercy, you will find, among other things, honor. You must love what is right. You must detest what is wrong. God is this way. God despises when people are treated unfairly. God despises injustice. Injustice. 
I mean, have you noticed in the law and throughout the Scriptures how it talks about not treating the orphans and the widows wrong and people that are hurting and people that are down and not, you know, not accepting a false witness. God loves what is right and He loves what is fair and good. You know, David, after many years of ruling as a king, one of the, one of the last things that he said that's recorded in the Word in 2 Samuel 23, 3. He said, He that rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. You must be just. You must love what is right. You must love what is fair. Now, in loving what is right, you come to this, that what, what is something that's right above everything God's Word is right. His Word is truth. The truth is right. Another way of saying loving what is right is saying love the truth. And if you are going to be an honorable person, you must have within you a tremendous love for the truth. I want to say something that's a very big statement and I'm going to give you reasons why I say it. We are to love the truth more than anything or anybody. Now that's a big statement. You don't usually hear me make those kind of all-inclusive statements, but I'm saying it. We are to love the truth above anything and everything and everybody. If we have to make a choice between the truth and somebody, it's already made for us. We'll go with the truth. Are you with me? You might say, well, Brother Keith, I thought we were supposed to love the Lord more than anything. That's what I just got through saying. He said, I am the way, the truth. Somebody said, well, I thought we were supposed to love the Word. That's what I just got through saying. Jesus said, John 17, my, thy Word is truth. Well, I thought we were supposed to love the Holy Ghost and His move. He is the Spirit of truth. Truth. If you're going to be honorable, you are a man or a woman who loves the truth. You love the truth. Now that's, you know, it's easier to say than it is to live. Because the truth can be unpleasant. The truth can be uncomplimentary. Can't it? Sometimes the truth is not what you want to see, not what you want to hear, because it reveals and shows you up to look bad in an area. But the truth is what the truth is. And you've got to love the truth no matter how it makes you look. No matter what it causes or what results in the situation, you must love the truth. Because what else is there besides the truth? If you reject the truth and don't embrace the truth, what else is it? What else is there? Lies. That's all. Go with me, if you would, to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians and the second chapter. In Second Thessalonians two, he's talking about. Uh, well, I'll just begin reading in verse nine. The coming, who, whose coming is after the working of Satan with power and signs and lying wonders. What kind of wonders? Lying wonders. Did you know that there are supernatural manifestations that are lies? Did you know that? Lying wonder is something that you'd look at and, and wonder. I mean, it's obviously supernatural. It's amazing. And yet, it's a lie. It promotes a lie. Everything that's supernatural is not God. And the thing that will arm you against being deceived is knowledge of His Word. I don't care what kind of experience you may have or what kind of experience somebody else may have, we check it with the Word. We measure it by the Word. Amen? I don't care if early tomorrow morning before daylight, if a choir of angels descend through your ceiling and sing a message to you with a light show, if it contradicts anything in this book, you just laugh at them. 
and ignore it. Because there are, I'm, I believe we're living in the day of the supernatural and we're coming into an era of the spectacular supernatural and you'll not only see it in the things of God, but there'll be lying wonders. I mean, all you've got to do is flip on the TV anytime and I mean, the country and the world has gone crazy over the so-called psychic phenomena. What this is, is just an entrance into the spirit world. Getting people introduced. Getting people to have some faith, not necessarily in God, but just in the spirit realm. You know, we're not just to be hungry and desirous for the supernatural. We're to be hungry and desirous for God. There is a difference. I've seen people, even young ministers, so hungry for miracles that they open themselves up to deception. You can push trying to have a vision, trying to see a miracle so hard that you open up yourself to the devil to do something in your life. Because he can do some miraculous things. He is a spirit. He can do some things. But his wonders would be lying wonders. I've had people going to bring me pictures of demons, videotapes, and our audio recordings of demons. And I said, what would you do with them? I don't want to see them. I don't want to hear them. I'm not interested in the devil. I don't care about I don't want to see any of his stuff. If he starts trying to do something, what I learned from Jesus is the two main things, shut up and come out. That's the two main things I learned from him in the Word. If he tries to do something, shut him down. Don't see what you can learn from the phenomena. What's a demon going to tell you about demons? Lies. They are <laughs> inveterate liars. They cannot be converted. They're nature. And that's why you and I should abhor lying. We should despise it. One of the most dishonorable things a person can do is to tell a lie. It violates everything that God is, everything that His Word is. He says here, verse 10, that he'll come with lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now notice, why they were deceived, notice why they perished. Are you with me? Because what? They received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause... God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, there are people on the earth, and, and obviously a great number of people, that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank God many people, many ministries are doing something about that. The gospel is going around the world, and it's reaching people on a, at a phenomenal rate. But something that is a, a huge situation is that there are many, many, many people that have heard the truth, but didn't receive it. And there are many people that have heard the truth many times, but they did not receive the love of the truth. And when you don't receive the love of the truth, what else is there for you to hear and accept? Lies. So you are deceived. You know, I, I was reading some years ago about different ministers of the past that had been used mightily of God, and it's sad that a number of those ministers that were so mightily used of God, a number of them died prematurely. They were judged. They were deceived. Many of them believed lies about their self and wound up preaching false doctrine. And I mean, some of them had attained to high places. And I, I was, that was heavy on my heart one day. And I remember coming into a certain speaker's room there at Raymond. I shut the door behind me and I just fell on my knees. And I said, God, I can see from reading some of these people. I mean, they knew more about you than I know. They've seen more than I've ever seen. And yet they were deceived. 
I mean, with all the knowledge. I mean, some of these people were brilliant and, and full of the Word, a lot of them. And I thought, Lord, how can I keep from being deceived? Ere my course is, is run. And the Lord spoke something to me and just etched in me. I'll never, never forget it. He said to me, your humility is your protection from deception. Your humility. This is actually another one of the qualities that makes one honorable, is humility. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But he said to me, your humility is your protection from deception. And he began to talk to me about these individuals. He said, every one of those individuals, I tried to correct. I talked to them. I tried to teach them. I even had other people that they should have respected come to them and try to talk to them, but they would not hear it. They were not teachable. They wouldn't humble themselves. That's why they were deceived. I mean, no, God is faithful. He's good. He's not just going to let you go off into destruction, in deception, without trying to help you. But you can't be helped if you won't hear it. Right? If you think you're the only one that knows God, you're the only one that can understand something, nobody else has the Spirit besides you, well, then you can't be helped if you won't hear it. So, being teachable is, is a part of being honorable. Being humble is a part of being honorable. While we're talking about that, let me just give you a few verses along that line. Instead of trying to come back to it later. We're talking about the love of the truth. And how if you don't love the truth, then you wind up being deceived. Because all there is besides truth is... Uh, is lies. Do you know that lying is a problem among Christians? We might like to think that, you know, well, hey, we're, we're Christians. I mean, none of us would tell a lie. But that's just not reality. The reality is there's a lot of problem with lying. Husbands lie to their wives about what they did and what they didn't do, what they spent on this and what they didn't spend, what they got and what they didn't got. Wives lie to husbands about what they charged and what they didn't, and what they bought and what they didn't. Sometimes people look at them as little, little lies, little insignificant. There's no such thing as an insignificant lie. I've had people look at me with tears, and, and, and it's obvious they lied, and and to somebody, and you say, why, why did you lie to them? Well, I, I didn't think they could handle the truth. You didn't think they could handle the truth. Well, did the Lord tell you that if somebody couldn't handle the truth, it's okay to tell them a lie? It's amazing how people have developed their own system of beliefs and what they think is... A, there is no circumstance in which it's all right to lie. Ever. There are no circumstances, none. You could never be in a situation or a set of circumstances where the Lord would tell you it's okay to lie this time. Ever. Ever. Can you picture the Lord Jesus telling a lie? It's, it's totally against his nature and his being. The devil's the liar, isn't he? He's the father of lies. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. And that's why it's such an abomination for you and I to lie or to be a partner to a lie. And it's so dishonorable. When you're trying to lie to somebody, you're trying to deceive them, which means you're trying to get them to believe that a lie is true, which is exactly what the devil does to all of us every day. You're doing the devil's work. Now, there's not a person in here that's never told a lie. So no need, no need in us looking around, seeing who, who did it. I hope you hadn't done it recently. But there's not a person in here that's never lied. And it's, it's amazing how early it starts. 
I mean, you got a little one that's a couple of three years old. You hear the cookie jar rattle in the kitchen. Time you get around there, there's chocolate smeared on their face, cookie crumbs all over them and on the floor, and the cookie jar lid is sideways. And you look at them, you say, have you been in the cookie jar? Mm-mm. <laughs> Standing there with cookie on their face. Mm-mm. And the problem is that parents and people and friends will look at them and laugh just like that. And they go, it, it met cute. Lion's not cute. And if there's not some radical changes, you certainly won't think it's cute when they're 16 years old. And they're lying to you about they stole money out of your purse. Or they did this or they did that. No. I mean, it needs to start early. It needs to start from the beginning that lying is an abomination to God. It is an abhorrence to Him. It is, it is one of the most dishonorable things a human being could possibly do is to tell a lie. In our society, people make light of it. They just expect that people tell lies here and there. But if you and I are going to be representatives of the Lord, that has to be totally purged from us. The person had purged themselves. Purge yourself from all manner of deception, all manner of lies. I thank God. You know, my parents... I mean, they'd be the first to say they didn't do everything right. They weren't even trying to serve the Lord in some of the first years of our, uh, our life. But they grew up in, in Christian homes, and they had the right principles instilled in them. And when I was about 12, my dad got saved, and we began to really go to church. And, and my grandmother had us in church, us boys in church, before that, every, every Sunday, anyway. But uh, one thing they did instill in me is that you do not lie. And my dad, oh my word, <laughs> you might do a lot of things, but you didn't do that. You just did not lie. I remember I was 16 years old, and I told him a lie. I knew better. Dear me, I knew better. I said, why'd you do it? Well, why'd you? <laughs> I, uh, I had done something I shouldn't have done, and he was talking to me about the discipline, what should we do, and so he just looked at me one point, and he said, son, if you give me your word, this won't happen again, we'll just forget it. So I gave him my word, I told him, okay, I won't do that again. Well, it wasn't two weeks. I don't laugh too hard. You may remember some of these things you did. Wasn't two weeks I was out with some of the guys, a little peer pressure going there, and I decided I'd do it again. And somewhere or another, I mean, I, I hadn't got home good. How many of the Lord helps parents? <laughs> I hadn't got home good until he knew. I walked through the room, I looked at him. He looked at me, I knew. He knew. I thought, oh God. He didn't yell. He didn't scream. He didn't whip me. It was just the look of disappointment in his eyes. He didn't even speak to me. He just turned around and walked out of the room. I felt about this big. He didn't speak to me for three days. As he should have. Eventually, I got the courage to go to him. You know, when you have wronged a person, you should go to them. The one who did the wrong should take the initiative. You go, don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. You're the one that did the wrong. I finally went to him and I said, Daddy, I lied to you. He said, I know it. Why, Why would you? And I saw it wasn't just a matter that I had told something that was untrue, but I had betrayed trust. That's How much more dishonorable can you get than that? That's the same essence of a traitor. I had be, he was depending on my word, and my word was undependable. 
And so he, you know, I repented. I said, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, it was stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. I know better. Forgive me. He did. Then he talked to me for quite a while about a man and his word. And half your word's no good, you're no good. Now, you might think that's too, too big of a statement, but it's absolutely the truth. If your word is no good, you're no good. You know, you hear sometimes people saying, well, you know, so-and-so, they're, they're a good old guy. You have to watch them, they lie to you. But they got a good heart. Not so. I said, not so. Because their life is the fruit of their heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, so-and-so, you know, they've they got a good heart, but they got to watch them, they steal from you. They steal you blind. But, they, but they're basically a good person. <laughs> no, they're not. I said, no, they're not. No, they're not. If you're a liar, you're not a good person. Now, no matter what you've done, how many know it's not the end? You can change today. You can, you can change today. And there are people, you know, I thank God I grew up in a home where lying was not acceptable. I just tried to give you an example of that. But I know people that grew up in homes where their parents told them to lie. Told, told them to lie to their teacher. Told them to lie to the principal. Told them to lie to this one and that one. I can't imagine a worse thing for a parent to do to their child. But it's happened, and it's happened many, many times. Dad's lying to mom, mom's lying to dad, and they're lying to their bosses, and they're lying to this, and they teach you to lie, and you just grow up. And if you do that, it can be a habit, and it can be something that you just take on as part of you, and you, you know, I've seen people just lie for no good reason. You know what I mean by that? Just, just soon lie to you to tell you the truth. Just... Look at you and lie. And that has to be purged if you're going to be an honorable person. That's got to be gotten out of you. Let me tell you how to fix it. Take some strength, but you can do it. If you've been a liar, then the next time if it comes up again, you know, pray it won't. But if it did, when you tell somebody something that's wrong, you know it. The moment you do, you know it. Just stop right there and say, excuse me, excuse me. You know that thing I just told you? Yeah. It was a lie. I just lied to you. I'm sorry. I don't care if you're through talking with them and you're walking away. Stop. Be a man. Be a woman. Turn around. If you're already home, pick up the phone. And say, so-and-so, yeah. Uh, you know, we were talking a few minutes ago, yeah. You know that thing I said I told you, yeah. Uh, that's not so. Don't say it was a mistake. Don't say I made a mistake. No, say I lied. I lied to you. I'm sorry. Now, that'll break you from lying. <laughs> you won't do that many times until you start. You're tempted to tell a lie and you go, uh-uh. No, because you don't want to do that. You might say, well, if I, if I tell them that, they'll lose confidence in me. Well, if you have to tell them that every other day, they probably will. <laughs> the, the idea is to quit. Period. Not slow down. Quit. Quit. You know, people don't like the word sin anymore. You know, people, some congregations have almost done away with the word sin. People are not in sin anymore. They have problems. <laughs> they have problems. And they're working on it. What does that mean? So-and-so has a problem with women. But he's in counseling. He's working on it. What, what does that mean he's working on it? Does that mean instead of three women a week, he's down to one? He's making progress? So-and-so has a drinking problem, but they're in counseling, they're working on it. What does that mean? 
So-and-so has a lying problem, a stealing problem, but they're, they're working on it. What does that mean? That means they're in sin and they haven't repented. And as long see, people make exceptions for it. We do not have to sin. We do not have to lie. We do not have to sin. And when we have, it's nobody's fault but ours. There's no excuse for sin. Thank God there's forgiveness and cleansing, but no excuse. 1 John 1.9 didn't say, come to the Lord and say, Lord, I think I got a problem. I don't know. I, I might have missed it here. I don't know. Maybe I did. But I don't know. I'll, I'll look. No, no. If you will what? Confess your sin. What does that mean? You come and say, I did it. It's sin. Call sin, sin. Label it. Take a stand. You play around with it and you think, well, I don't know, maybe I missed it. I'll, I'll work on it. And you're going to be dealing with it next time we see you. But if you repent, confess, and repent, God will forgive you, cleanse you. But let me reiterate, to be an honorable person, you must be a person who loves the truth. You hold the truth Precious and above all. You wouldn't lie for all the money in the world. You wouldn't lie for any reason. You wouldn't lie for your own mother or father or brother or sister. You will not tell a lie. You will not knowingly be a partner to a falsehood at any price or cost. I know some families that grew up and they believe that if you really love each other, if necessary, you lie for each other. That's ungodly thinking. I wouldn't lie for anybody. Not my own mother, not my own father, not anybody. Because it is a violation of the very essence of God. He is truth. And he hates a lie. Now sometimes you don't, you're not going to lie, but you may not have to tell everything you know either. I mean, what I'm saying is I've had people press me about things and I say, well, I just don't want to talk about it. I didn't say. Not going to say. But if you do say something, see to it that it is, to the best of your knowledge, right. The kind of ground that Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower that brought forth the good fruit, you know, 30, 60, 100 fold, he said the person who in a good and an honest heart, Luke 8, they received the word and brought forth fruit with patience. What kind of heart? Honest, good and honest. What makes you a good, honorable person? Well, one big thing is truth. Honesty, like we've already talked about. Can you say amen? amen? We could camp on that longer, but I don't think we need to. Another thing that will make you an honorable person is to be a gracious person. Everybody say gracious. Amen. To be gracious. In Proverbs eleven sixteen, it says a gracious woman retains honor. A gracious woman retains honor. This is true concerning the woman. It's also true concerning men in a great measure as well. Just, just the very concept of graciousness makes you honorable. If you would be turning with me to 1 Corinthians 12 while we talk about this. 1 Corinthians 12. To be gracious means to be merciful. It means to be kind. To uh, be considerate. One definition is stooping to an inferior. One definition is extending favors that are neither deserved nor expected. That's being gracious. Extending favors that are neither deserved nor expected. And it particularly has to do with people that are in a weaker or lesser position than you might be in at the time. If you are in a position stronger or better than someone else, then how do you deal with them? 
The honorable person deals graciously. 1 Corinthians 12 gives some, some good detail on this. 1 Corinthians 12 we usually think of as the chapter on the gifts of the Spirit, or manifestations of the Spirit, and that's, that's true, but actually there's more in this chapter on the body of Christ than there is the actual gifts of the Spirit. And that shouldn't be surprising because the gifts function through the body. But down here in the latter part, in verse 20, he said, 1 Corinthians 12, 20, Now are they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable Upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Notice that he talks about the parts that lacked and the parts that seemed to be more feeble. One way that you show honor, and uh, again I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, is how you deal with people in their times of weakness. One of the most dishonorable things you could do is to take advantage of somebody when they're weak and or to reveal or exploit somebody's weaknesses. Basically, if somebody falls and you point and go, Hey, hey, look here. They're on the ground. That's one of the most dishonorable things you can do. Do you remember the story of Noah and how that after he uh, was, uh, he and his family were saved in the flood and they got there and he planted a vineyard and made wine and wound up getting drunk and essentially, I guess, passed out in his tent naked. And one of his boys went in there and saw him. And what did he do? Came back out and said, Dad is drunk and naked in there. Can't believe it. That's dishonorable, isn't it? Do you know that there are actually people, Christians supposed to be people, that feel like it's their job to expose people? That's one of the most ungodly things I've ever heard of. What does the Bible say about love? Love uncovers everybody's problems. Hmm? Love makes sure the world knows because the world has a right to know. It's amazing how people are so deceived. And I mean, there are people that actually... I've had people try to tell me that that was their ministry. To expose things. That's so ungodly. So dishonorable. Notice what the other boys did. They gathered them a cloth or a sheet or whatever and walked in backwards. I wouldn't look at him in his time of weakness. Laid the cloth down, walked out. Covered. Didn't look, didn't exploit, didn't talk. Covered. I've seen young, ignorant ministers... And they see an elder minister make a mistake, even a small one, and they want to point it out. And it makes them feel, I don't know, you know, it's obviously obvious that they're insecure. Because, because they caught them in a mistake, it makes them feel smart, I guess. I don't know. But an honorable person can be looking right at somebody and they'll make a gross error and they'll look the other way and act like, you know... Not 
lying for somebody, not purposely trying to cover and say something's good when it's not, but you just, you're not going to exploit it. You're not going to make them feel bad or feel uncomfortable. An honorable person is one that you can, you can absolutely put both feet in your mouth, act a fool in front of them, and they'll recover it. They'll change the subject. They'll act like they didn't notice what you did. And they'll treat you with respect anyway. You understand what we're talking about? Honorable. You know, if you really walk in love, a lot of people will decide that you are naive. You know what I'm talking about? The Bible said that concerning evil, we are to be simple. Right? But concerning good, we're to be mature. And we're to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Harmless. And when you really walk in love, like I said, people would think you're naive. Because they'll think you don't see or notice things. But you do. You just have the good sense and the the honor not to say anything about it or, or reveal it or expose it. I've had people come to me before and say, did, Brother Keith, did you hear what they said about you? I said, yeah. And they said, uh, do you know what they were saying? you know what they were trying to say? I said, what? They said, well, they were trying to say this. I mean, they were trying to run you down. They were taking a jab at you. I said, no. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. But the Bible said it's the glory of a man to pass over a transgression. That makes you a bigger person. Right? That even if somebody somebody tried to stab you in the back, I mean, if somebody, somebody hit you, you look up and go, did your hand slip? even if it didn't, it'll give them a chance to go, oh, oh, I'm sorry. If they want to repent. Can you see, these are some concepts that people weren't taught in their homes. They weren't taught because sometimes their parents, bless their hearts, they didn't know it. They weren't taught. There's been generations that haven't known some of these things because it's been in the Word all along. But do you want to be honorable? I don't know about, about you. I trust it's the same. I have a hunger for these things. I, desire, I want to be honorable like the Lord is. I want that. And man, if I, I see some area that I've been dishonorable and acted dishonorable, it grieves me. It bothers me. I repent. There's been, you know, occasion here or there that I said something that I shouldn't have said and made somebody look bad. I think we've probably all done this. You know, some of the worst mistakes you can make is with your mouth talking about other people. And especially the more of a place you have, the more weight your words carry. You know, I, I didn't, the Lord was having to teach me about some of these things because, you know, you start off from nothing and nobody knows you, nobody cares. What you say, but then after a while, more people begin to esteem what you say. You have to realize that and order your words more carefully. And there's been some situations where, you know, maybe a pastor asked me about this person or that person, and I know if I, if I say anything negative, you hurt them. You don't want to lie, but at the same time, you don't want to hurt people unnecessarily for, for no reason. And so even though mistakes are made and people fail and people fall, let's be like the sons of Noah that walked in backwards, laid down the cover. Doesn't mean they're condoning a sin or a wrong. You're not saying it's right or wrong. You're just saying we don't want to make it worse. We don't want to exploit it. We don't want to let it out. You know, some years ago when a lot of things about certain ministers were on the media and 
it was, you know, a lot of people were talking about certain ministers. This media came to this one pastor and asked him about some things relative to these individuals' mistakes. And he, and he just looked at him. He said, it's a family matter. <laughs> what does that mean? It's none of your business. We'll take care of it. Right? Honorable. Aren't you glad God doesn't hang all your dirty laundry out for everybody to see? He's gracious that way. God's not interested in embarrassing you, making you look bad. And it, we ought to always work to not make somebody look bad. I mean, if we can do anything to help them, short of lying for them, we will. You never want to make people look bad. Be honorable and help them retain their honor. Being gracious, being kind, being considerate. Love covers. Another thing that makes you an honorable individual is to be wise. Wisdom causes you to be honorable. Proverbs 4, if you want to turn there you can. If not, I'll just read it to you. But Proverbs 4, beginning in the 7th verse, the writer said, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, exalt wisdom, and she shall promote you. She shall bring you to honor when you do embrace her. What will wisdom do for you? It'll bring you to honor. She shall give to your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to you. In Proverbs 3 it says, The wise will inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Wisdom makes you honorable. Wisdom does not come, you know, out of secular education. Wisdom comes from God, doesn't it? Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom, I mean, is, is an amazing thing. If you study the book of Proverbs, there's so much in there about wisdom. But one main characteristic and quality of wisdom is that it looks ahead. Take, for instance, the manifestation in the Word of God of the Word of Wisdom. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the Word of Wisdom is a supernatural revelation of the future and the plan and the will and the purpose of God. So a wise person is a person who's always looking ahead, always thinking about what happens next. The Bible says in Proverbs that the heart of the wise studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out foolish things. In other words, a wise person will think about what they're going to say before they say it. They will think about its effect on the hearer. They will think about the repercussions. Well, if I say that, then how will they take it? How will they hear it? But a foolish person will just say it and see where it lands. Right? A foolish person will just do things and then see the consequences. But a wise person thinks about the consequences before initiating the action. Wisdom. And wisdom comes from God. And His Spirit of wisdom is in us. And part of that is, part of His ministry is to show us things to come. Isn't it? Now that, that doesn't mean you have to fall into a trance or have an open vision. You can just know. It's amazing. Just by the spirit of knowing within you, you can start to do things you just know, oh, no, I don't need to do that because if I do that, then this will happen and that will happen and they'll think this. So you cut it off before it ever starts. The Lord just help you to see and help you to know. Well, I need to do this because this is going to be coming up and then this will be in place for this. Wisdom. Wisdom. People will respect you. And they'll honor you if you walk in wisdom. If you're foolish, however, it'll hurt your honor. You know, I, I teach in 
rhema about submission and authority. And we talk about every place in the Bible where the Bible teaches this one to submit to this one. And among other things, the Bible talks about wives submitting to their husbands. So we talk about that. And we talk about both sides of it. And one, you know, one aspect of being a leader, whether it's the head of a family, the head of a church, head of a ministry, whatever, is, you know, certainly people should submit to you. They should follow you, like the Word says. But you should be a good leader and a consistent leader. And I'm not surprised that some wives and some families are hesitant to follow their men because their men go off half-cocked. You know? They come and say, oh, I got an idea. I know what we're going to do. I got an idea. And, and the mom and the kids groan and go, oh, no, not again. Oh, man. Remember the last idea Dad had? The whole family wound up in the ditch for the last 12 times. I've actually, I've had men to tell me and say, well, you know, well, my wife is the prayer in the family. She does the praying. And he basically just asked her, honey, what's God saying? Well, thank God if you have a, a wife that prays, but th- that doesn't mean you don't pray. Right? And that doesn't do away with your responsibility to hear. Right? When, as a leader, you need to seek the wisdom of God before you make a move. Before you take everybody with you and use all the resources and all the energy and in the middle of it stop and go, well, I don't know. <laughs> this might have been the wrong way. <laughs> well, you do that many times and people are going to cease to respect you like, they, like you want them to. You know, that's one good thing I've learned from Brother Hagin. I tell you, unless he's heard from God, he'll sit down in the road like an old mule and just say, you're not moving him. Just... They can call. They can say, we got deadlines. They can say this. He says, yeah, I ain't heard from God. What does that mean? That's it. I'm not clear. Yeah, but we got this schedule. Yeah, but we got this. Yes, but he's not clear. So, what do you do? You wait. Yeah, but we got deadlines. Well, you wait. I've also noticed, I've been with him for 17 years now. He hadn't had to do a lot of backtracking. I don't ever remember him leading us all off in the wrong way and getting up and going, well, we've spent all this money, we've done all this, but you know now I see it's wrong. I don't ever remember us doing that. But it takes patience, doesn't it? I remember in healing school, he came in one day, speaker's room, just a couple of us were back there, and he told us this certain idea about healing school that he felt like the Lord had given him. We thought, man, that's wonderful. That's got to be from God. That's great. Yeah, let's get right on that. We figured we'd probably do that, you know, the next couple of weeks. A month passed. Six months passed. A year passed. We forgot about it. A year and a half passed. He comes in, he says, remember that thing? Huh? <laughs> yeah, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, a year and a half ago. Well, let's start doing it. And it just worked wonderfully. You know, it's not enough to just know What? You need to know who, how, when, where, right? I mean, you can get the what, but you need the timing. And you need the other things. And it's real simple. If you don't know, if you're not sure, wait. And see, your flesh don't like that word. Does it? Your flesh does not like that word, wait. But if you're not clear, if you don't know, That's what you do. You wait. You keep seeking God. You keep expecting Him to show you. And when it's right, you'll know. If you don't know, if you're not sure, you haven't got it yet. Wait. Well, I'm just not clear. I just don't know. Well, just don't move yet. Wait. I think people miss it so much of the time by moving too fast. By moving too quick. By speaking too soon and too much. That's the nature of the flesh. All of us got flesh, and you got to put a bridle on that thing. And sometimes, I mean, your flesh is just chomping at the bit. You got to pull back with both hands and say, "Whoa, boy, whoa, wait, wait. We hadn't got the green light. We, I know you want it, but it's not there. I don't see it. We hadn't got it yet." Jesus talked about in the Gospel of John a number of times. He said, "Mine hour is not yet come. Mine hour is not yet come." Then, toward the end of the book, he said, "My hour is come." How did he know? We all have the spirit of knowing inside us. 
Then this is something real simple. How do I know if this time for this is coming up? Real simple. If you don't know that it has, it hasn't. That's not hard, is it? Keep seeking God. Keep praying. Keep believing. And He knows where you are. He knows how to communicate with you. He can cause you to know. But the problem is a lot of times people don't go far enough and wait long enough to get the knowing. They move quickly on something else. You can miss it by moving too fast. If you want to be honorable, you must be wise. Wisdom is something you grow in, something you develop in. But just simply making the effort to pause and think before you speak. To pause and think before you move. To pause and check and see what would the consequences of these actions and words be. What would the repercussions of this action be? That is a huge step toward walking in wisdom. Because if you just stop and look and check, then the Holy Ghost has the opportunity to show you, say, no, don't do that, check you, yeah, go ahead, wait, whatever. I don't know what the things, and I'm sure you could say the same, that the Lord has spared me. I've been in situations and conversations with people. I start to say something. Lord, check me. Don't say that. Don't say that. I, so I just didn't say it. I didn't know why. But later on, they bring up something. And I think, oh, thank God I didn't say that. Saved me from looking dumb innumerable times. And he, I mean, the Holy Ghost is no respecter of persons. He helps everybody the same if they'll look to Him the same. There's some people He helps more than others. Not because he's a respecter of persons, but because there's some people look to him more than others. Some people wait on him more than others. Just check. Ever heard the phrase, look before you leap? That's what we're talking about. Just check before you say Just check. Think about what's going to happen afterwards. Wisdom. Now something coupled with this that's another thing that will make you uh, honorable, and we'll close with this point. This goes hand in hand with this. But it is being self-controlled and being stable. These two go hand in hand. Self-controlled and stable. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, it's an honor for a man to cease from strife. But every fool will be meddling. It's an honor. I, I can't get into this. I'm, I need to stop right now. Just, just postpone that. Uh, stability will make you an honorable person. And you might think, well, that's part of my problem. I'm up, I'm down, I'm in and out. But no, you don't have to be. People are what they have become, not what they have to be. Let me pray over you and, and we'll be dismissed. I don't need to go any further today. Father, we thank you for Your mercy and for Your grace. Thank You for Your wisdom. And Lord, uh, help us to grasp these qualities and let them sink down in us deeper and stronger and greater and that these things would not get away from us but that we would keep them before us until they become a permanent part of us and that we would be vessels unto honor, meet and fit for Your use. In Jesus' name, Amen. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.